Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 279. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you doing, Kevin? Uh, doing well. All right. Good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. This, yeah. this week, we'll be taking a look at Alex Ross Perry's latest, Golden Exits, along with some of what we're watching on the watch list and previewing some new releases in theaters, VOD and Blu-ray. I'd like to start the show with an apology. It's my fault. It's rare that I'll say this, but it's my fault that we were off the last couple weeks because I had I was at Sundance and then the worst the following week was a real screw up on my part. Uh, we were going to be reviewing a movie and, and Kevin, I'm sure you'll talk about it uh, today. We were going to be reviewing a movie for the for the show and we were sent a screener and the screener expired and i didn't realize it and for some reason i thought it was like a few days after it actually expired so i was like oh i'm good i'll be able to watch it on saturday night and we'll be recording on sunday and everything will be great no that's not the case it totally expired and i was not able to see it uh, although I appreciate, I do appreciate the effort of the publicist reactivating it. It was just like three days too late. <laughs> I just love that, that that happened. Cause usually that's me. Yeah. That's happened a lot of times where that's me. Yeah. I totally dropped it was the ball. Refreshing. It was refreshing to have it be you this time. Well, it's not something I'm going to let happen again anytime soon. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to it forever, though. Like, if any time I don't watch something, I'll be like, you do it, too. Remember that time? Remember that time? <laughs> hmm? It can even be, like, four years later after I've done it nine times. And I'll still bring it up. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, that's that's fine. You can hold it over my head. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. So damn unprofessional. I know. I was I was really... <laughs> I was really upset with myself over that. Uh, at any rate, let's talk about Golden Exits, a movie that I did not let the, the screener expire. <laughs> It'd be great if you just like, uh, in all actuality, I did not. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I did. I did view this one. Uh, so this is written and directed by Alex Ross Perry. I have a uh, synopsis here. An intersectional narrative of two families in Brooklyn and the unraveling of unspoken unhappiness that occurs when a young foreign girl spending time abroad upsets the balance of both sides. This stars mm-hmm. Emily Browning, Adam Horowitz in there, a little ad rock, Beastie Boys mm-hmm. action, uh, Mary Louise Parker, Lily Robb. Uh, let's see, Jason Schwartzman, Chloe Savini, Annalie Tipton. Uh, we'll start with you, Kevin. What did you think of Golden Exits? Uh, first off, I, I like filmmaking-wise, like technique-wise. I think this is probably Perry's best movie. Um, everything else, I don't know. Like I just, I don't, I don't, I'm literally like halfway through the movie and I'm just like, what, what's the point? What is, 
I knew right what away. The point of this? I knew within 20 minutes. Within the first 20 minutes, I was like, Kevin and I are going to definitely be on the same page with this one. I just, I just know it. Because <laughs> I feel like we've seen a lot of these movies before. And it's so funny because there's one scene in the movie when uh, Adam Horowitz and Emily Brown... Um, What's her name? Emily Browning are they're having a conversation and they're talking about they're talking about movies and she mentions that people don't make movies about just normal people living their everyday lives and during that scene I'm thinking this is why this is why they don't do that because it because it's it's boring like nothing there's nothing compelling about this like. Well, and I mean, to a certain extent, they do do that. And I don't think that, like, a lot of those movies are boring. I think, like, what the issue with this movie is because it's kind of that, where it's people just having their ordinary lives. But the thing that gets me and makes it worse is it's so overwritten to the point of just being fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Like, because these aren't normal people. Like, they're the dialogue that they're spouting is just right. absolutely insufferable. Yeah, I mean... And you're just like, who talks like this? No one talks like this. If you do talk like this, we shouldn't be making movies about you. You should be kept alone in your house yeah, I, with people like you. Every every conversation is just about life, you know? <laughs> like, just... They're, they're just, they, just... They overanalyze everything about everything. Yeah. Oh, and, and again, that's not necessarily bad in and of itself. Like, you can have movies that are like that with that type of dialogue. It's just the, the issue here for me, at least, is all these little combos that they're having, they're all like mini blurbs from like their dissertation, where it's just, it's too much. It's just too, like, you're trying entirely too hard here. Yeah, I, I completely the writing agree. Writing this is just, oh, it's so off putting. And then on top of that, you're, like I said, halfway through, I'm like, what, what is the point? Like, what are you doing? What do you, what do you have to say? Like you assembled all these people together, invested all this time and resources to say what? I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, What's the point? You know, at its, at its core, like the synopsis says, Emily Browning's character is she comes to to New York on a work visa from Australia. She's going to be here for a couple months and it's like it's like all the men in this movie are just like these vultures that descend upon Emily Browning and there's just like this immediate tension, this immediate like sexual tension that occurs with seemingly every man that is around her. And it's like Am, am I supposed to like any any of these characters? Am I is this some sort of uh, you know statement on the, the male gaze or something? Like, is it like what what what, what, what is this all about here? Because you know you have she's working with Adam Horowitz. She 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 gets hired as uh, an assistant to him, and then there's this like immediate attraction there and then like she's like her mom is friends with jason schwartzman's mom so they hang out and then there's like that kind of 
attraction there. Well, and like I understand him being, you know, kind of a, a sleazeball. Well, it seems like he's a reformed. Yeah, yeah. Sleazeball. They they say like that there was the issues in the past, and they, and it seems like at the start of this relationship, this professional relationship, he's he's well behaved. Yeah, and, and then he kind of his ridiculous friends show up and kind of they de- push him in. Yeah, they derail it. that. They they mention yeah they mention multiple times that he has uh, they they allude to that he has been unfaithful in the past. He's uh, he's married to to Chloe Savini, but it's just like it- I'm like just uh, I don't care about any of this. Like it, it, I think I think what it boils down to is just. The characters and their situations were just not interesting enough for me to really, to to really grab me. Yeah, and I was, I was marginally with it until towards the end, where Naomi essentially just becomes like obsessed with Schwartzman's character, and because like at the. It, I was kind of like you were. It's like, okay, is this a state? You know, these are pathetic men. They're really sad. And they're they're trying entirely too hard. And it's screwing up their relationships. But then it, like, turns around where Emily Browning is obsessed with him. And it's just like, what? wait, what? Yeah, it, it kind of I thought she realized the whole thing on these... its head. It's like, I don't care about you people. You're all ridiculous. <laughs> You're also full of yourselves. It's just awful. Uh, yeah. I mean, I thought that it did look look quite good. I, I liked, I liked the look of it. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it. Uh, there, there's certain. I'm, I'm sure that people uh would be comparing this to to Woody Allen film, and I think that of all of Alex Ross Perry's films, this is the most. Uh, Woody Allen esque. Yeah, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing or what. It was just something that I immediately like. The soundtrack and everything just felt very Woody Allen esque to me from from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, like I said from the top, the like the filmmaking of it, the the cinematography. I loved the the dissolving establishing shots i thought were fantastic just like the overall like pace to it the rhythm to it i thought was fantastic that i love the score mm-hmm. keegan dewitt again fantastic score it's just unfortunately like the meat of it, everything at the at the center is just insufferable <laughs> yeah. it's just oh goodness yeah, uh, it, was, it was difficult. Unfortunately, I I will agree with you on that. I just there just wasn't. It, it was really struggling to hold my attention. Like I just I was not into the conversations. And there are a lot of movies that that we watch. A lot of like American indies that that really focus on character and the conversations between characters and. I like that. I, I like those types of movies. However, this one, it just didn't have a lot to say that really compelled me to to want to keep watching it. No, and it didn't for as for as talkative as they are. We're almost 
everyone is given this opportunity to to have like this defining monologue that they they kind of get everyone does but to me there's just again it's overly written and there's just not there is no like insight there is nothing in the monologue itself is just verbose yeah and it's just like it's just verbose for the sake of being i don't it's supposed to be intellectual i guess but it just comes off to me it just came off as silly and again insufferable yeah uh they just keep talking but they're not saying anything <laughs> yeah. yeah that 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 happens i was hoping that there'd be at least some some comedy in it but no I, I didn't really yeah it's not really a it's definitely not a comedy I was, no. I was hoping Schwartzman would drop some drop some gems or something but no no doesn't really happen and I thought like Keith Polson shows up at the end and he seems like an awkward guy I thought he was gonna bring some kind he doesn't he's no, he doesn't really get an opportunity to do anything Mm-mm. I don't know why he was even there really they just started adding new characters at the end. They just got tired, got bored, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they started adding characters at the end. <laughs> they started pile, piling up characters. <laughs> just throw them in there. Why not? Yeah, that's really all I have to say about this movie. There's just, there's nothing, there's really nothing here well, for me. And it's like, it's going off of the synopsis, which I didn't read beforehand. <clears throat> yeah, neither did I. This was the but first kind time of, I read it. Kind of basically going off of that, you know, it's saying that it kind of the the unspoken unhappiness or whatever, it kind of screws up the balance of the relation. They didn't seem that happy to begin with. No. Like before Naomi's even introduced, they, they, they just these relationships don't seem happy or healthy. No, and they they seem to be pretty pretty open about talking about their their unhappiness as well um i mean at least with other people yeah maybe not their their spouses but so i didn't really understand what she was upending yeah no no nobody was really That's happy actually no, nobody was happy <laughs> outside, in this movie <laughs> outside of you know schwartzman having to sneak around and lie even even that opening scene with Emily Browning singing, which I thought was great, by the way. Like, I thought that was a great way to open I did enjoy that. Um, even that, it seemed like she was not happy about being there. She seemed very <laughs> depressed. It was a very... Uh, a very it was a somber rendition. Yeah, a lot of melancholy <laughs> in, in, in that. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't... I mean, it doesn't start off on... You know, it start. It, you're right. It kind of does just start off in melancholy. That's the foot that it, it just jumps. Off. I mean, it's New York groove, and she she seems so sad. Yes. Which is interesting everyone, to hear to hear a everyone sad else that follows of New York groove. Yeah. And then everyone that follows seems just as, or maybe even more so, sad. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's just a, it's a depressing movie about depressed people and their depressing <laughs> lives. Is that, I guess, is that like a accurate snapshot of Brooklyn? Everyone's just sad. <laughs> uh, it's just a bunch of sad people that are 
unnecessarily verbose. I would say, here's the thing. If you want to see a more accurate and realistic portrayal of Brooklyn, I would say watch the show High Maintenance on HBO. And the new season just started recently. And it is utterly fantastic. And not only is it a great snapshot of Brooklyn, it's a great snapshot of New York as well. So instead of golden exits, just watch High Maintenance. Apparently, this is the snapshot of the Alex Ross Perry's because little bubble of Brooklyn. In, in, I guess in a lot of ways, High Maintenance <laughs> is sort of the same style of mo- uh, of uh, narrative where it goes into people's lives and it's just a little snapshot of their lives, but it's done in such uh, such a more entertaining and and fascinating way the way that it dives into these people's lives it's it's way better than than something like this which is a shame because i i like alex ross perry i like most of his his movies uh queen of earth was a disappointment for me but that's what i mean like the last two like the last two have not been good yeah, between Queen of Earth and this one, and this one is the filmmaking is better than Queen of Earth, but like the writing is worse. Yeah, I completely agree. And one, on one end he's getting better, on one end he's getting worse. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, all right. Well, that's Golden Exits. What are you going to give this out of ten? I don't even know. Uh you have four. Yeah, I'm sitting at a four. four. I'm sitting at a four on this one. Just yeah, it just didn't land for me. Just wasn't there. Uh, so that's Golden Exits. That's playing in limited release right now. I do not think this is on VOD. I think this is only in select uh, theaters. Yeah, and now you kind of see why now. Because I was always wondering, like when it. Well, yeah, I mean, this was festival. yeah, this was it played Sundance last year and this was on both of our most anticipated lists and it never came out and i don't think it didn't so get it, just, it didn't get picked up i don't think no last year and we you didn't really hear much about it either and this was someone that it seemed like he was you know his name was getting a little bit bigger and then all of a sudden just kind of yeah. poof yeah uh disappear and it's like what you can definitely see why and now you, <laughs> you see the movie and it's like oh okay i kind of get it that's golden exits a little bit of a disappointment <laughs> let's move on to our yeah. watch list talk about some stuff we've been watching i don't remember who started last last time so either. uh i saw i'll just start it I saw Cloak and Dagger from 1984. Cloak and Dagger? Yeah, little Cloak and Dagger action. This is directed by... Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman plays (laughs) uh, an imaginary secret (laughs) agent. Are you serious? And uh, Henry Thomas is uh, the the main character, Elliot from E.T., and he plays this uh, character who he has a very active imagination, loves spy stuff, loves video games, and 
one day he goes to this um this office that has that's like a uh, electronic store or like a, an electronics publisher or something he goes there to like pick up a catalog of their latest stuff and he ends up going up this the stairwell and this scientist enters and he's the, the, the scientist gets shot and dies Ooh. he falls down a, a stairwell to his death and before he dies he gives this kid a copy of the atari game cloak and dagger which is a real atari game and uh tells him to like keep it safe or something i don't i don't even remember but <laughs> hidden in this cloak and dagger atari game is are these plans for this stealth bomber that the government is creating i guess and then like these agents start coming after him and try to get the thing back and they want to they want to like kill him it, it's it's not a great movie but it's it's way more adult than i expected i mean there's like people that get shot and there's deaths multiple deaths and there's like people trying to kill this kid and his friend and it was it was kind of fun it's got to be one of the first video game movies i think i love the idea of Oh yeah, the whole yeah. So his yeah, his imaginary friend. I, I, I neglected to. <laughs> I, I ne- <laughs> that seems like a huge part it's, of this. It's like he, the biggest part. So Dabney Coleman is his imaginary friend who is this spy, and he helps him out to do these things. So yeah, how does that work though? He just helps him make decisions. Like he'll he'll he stands around. And he tells him what to do. Okay. All right. It's uh it's pretty fun. I enjoyed it. I'd recommend giving it giving it a look. It's if you're looking for some 80s nostalgia. Yeah, for some for some reason this is one that I never I never watched never as a youth. Yeah. But Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, check it out. Uh I saw it before we vanish. Did you get a chance to see that? No, I didn't. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> this is uh this is the one that that expired. Uh this is it's interesting cuz I I've seen two different things going on here with this before we banish. Is that there's it was a like a mini series or a TV show something something along those lines. Well, according to the person that commented on our review, it was a mini series. Yeah. And then I've read where it was, it's, it was a miniseries, and this is kind of like a companion piece to the miniseries. And the miniseries is actually like a little bit different, where it's more of a, like a horror, darker version of what the movie is. So I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure because I don't know if this is like just a furthering of the, but whatever. Number one is the premise is great for this which is the, this is the newest one from Kurosawa, where it's an alien invasion. Three aliens come down. They take over human bodies. And their whole goal is they're like, they're just research. They're there for research. 
So what they have to do is they're collecting concepts. So it's like Third Rock from the Sun, the hit sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Um, where they go, like, the for an example, the, the guy, like, tries to walk into someone's house, and he's like, that's my house. I own it. You can't just walk in there. And he's like, explain to me possession. So the guy's, like, like talking through it. And once he gets, like, the everything that goes into the concept of, like, possession or your possessions, he gives you a little tap on the forehead, and he steals it. He takes it, and it's now, like, you know, it, like, downloads it into himself where he has the human concept of possessions. But the, the side effect to it is that human no longer has that concept anymore. That's actually and never will happen. Yeah, that's actually a really awesome premise. <laughs> I feel like they, so they can do it, a lot with that. Exactly. So, um, even though this movie's two hour and nine minutes long, they don't do a lot with it. Um, they steal some concepts here and there. Like one guy steals the concept of family, and of course, this girl just she doesn't have the concept of family anymore. Um, and the one is, he's like, he's the husband of this woman, and the woman doesn't know that he's an alien. She just, she hates her husband, and now all of a sudden is, her husband's fucking weird. He's a weirdo because he's an alien. So it goes through all this shit. Now, the thing that's interesting is, in a bad way, is they don't really collect that many concepts, and then they just invade anyways to kill everyone. So it seems kind of pointless to take the concepts anyway. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all, really. Because they take, like, eight concepts, and then they invade. Like, you would think, and what do you need the concepts for anyways? You're taking over the planet, and you're killing all the humans. So what do you need human concepts for? Yeah, it seems a little counterintuitive. Yeah, because then, you know, obviously there comes a point where it becomes an invasion film and it kind of just, they're like on the run from government agencies. And that kind of goes out the window and it becomes just kind of standard fare where it's not really interesting anymore. They're not. And then it comes down to this whole, like the alien getting the the concept of love and um, Kurosawa in this movie, he can't do romance or love and it's really bad. Mm -hmm. So man, does it fall on its face at the end, but it's just it, at the core. It's such a great idea, which is, I, that's why I like based on this movie, which is okay. It's like a light recommend, but I really want to see the uh, the miniseries because I think it's it's best for that it, where you have time. Yeah, it sounds like a good concept for a, for a show where you can yeah you can really explore. You it. can have them be gradually getting all of these millions of concepts and seeing how these <laughs> these aliens change over time after learning these concepts yeah. and one well, as they and it's become also more human yeah and it's also interesting to as kind of like a thought experiment to say okay if this person lost the concept of family or lost the concept of possessions what would that look yeah like? how would they act 
Yeah, that's because the, the thing when it comes down to the love thing, which this is, it's difficult for him to take the concept because no one can really define it. Which is the where he runs into trouble. Like he asks numerous people. Like he goes into a church and there's all these little kids, and you're like, "Oh Jesus, he's going to steal the idea of love from kids. This is going to be horrible." But no one can quite define what love is sufficiently enough for him to take it. Ah, interesting. See, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'll. Uh... We'll have to seek out the the series. I don't even know what the is the series also called before we vanish. I'm not sure. I need to find yeah, out we'll more have to, information to research this and see even... see if the the series is available in the in the states. Maybe yeah. on one of those like Crunchyroll or one of those that does series. Maybe they have it. I don't know. Uh, let's see. What did I? I, I saw the Cloverfield Paradox. Ooh. Yeah, this is uh this was the big Netflix bomb drop during the Super Bowl, which was crazy. Crazy idea. They released the trailer during the Super Bowl and in that trailer they announced that the the movie is available to watch immediately after the game. Yeah. Kind of a smart idea, smart ma- marketing idea, but it it makes it it causes reservations, right? Like you're like, mm, it's probably not good if they're doing it this way, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was my immediate thought. Was I have a feeling this movie's not good at all? Because why would you do this if you knew you had something good? So if you're not familiar with a little bit of the backstory with this with this one, the script for and and this is I don't know this for a fact. This is just these are just things that I read online. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But from what I understand, the script was not originally a Cloverfield movie. And then uh, adding to that, the actual film itself was not a Cloverfield movie. And they did a lot of additional shooting to make it a Cloverfield movie. So, that being said, the Cloverfield stuff in this, while it seems very clear that they tried to put it in there as best they could, it still feels a little out of place. Like, it doesn't really work. So, the way that the the film is structured, you're cutting back and forth between people on this space station who are trying... They ha- they're on the space station that houses a device that will create everlasting sustainable energy for the whole planet. So it takes this takes place in the future and mm-hmm. it's a future where our energy <clears throat> reserves have run out. So people <clears throat> people are in in peril on earth. So they divide they create this device that's going to be everlasting energy for everyone, free energy. And so part of it takes place on the space station with the crew trying to get this device working. And then part of it is on Earth uh, with this, uh, this guy who is just dealing with the effects of 
these this these power outages and then subsequently what happens after they turn on the device which causes the whole Cloverfield incident and there's a few cool there's a few cool sequences uh in this especially because you're you're dealing with like paradoxes so you're dealing with multiple dimensions and then these dimensions sort of overlap with each other after they turn on this device so you're having a lot of weird things occur like there's a scene where chris o'dowd basically the the ship this the station that they're on sort of sucks his arm into the wall of the ship and the wall like is sort of eating his arm and then all of a sudden his arm just disappears and he's without an arm for the rest of the movie like it, like it's not like it chops it off or anything it just disappears like his arm just it it shows up later but it turns out that it's not his arm it's the other dimensions Chris O'Dell. Oh my goodness. It's his arm. It's swapping yeah, they're, dimensional they're, arms. They're arms traded places. And there's the, oh, there's a goodness. few other things that that uh happen that are like that that are pretty cool. And there's a couple cool death scenes too. Uh I'm not gonna say who dies, but there's there's uh there are a few interesting death scenes that, that occur. Uh one is very alien esque. Uh I mean it's it almost it's it, 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 no <laughs> But it almost feels like an alien ripoff. It's it, it's bursting. yeah. It's just it's so egregious that it it feels almost silly. Although this the sequence itself was pretty cool. Uh, the movie's not good. It is it is not a good movie yeah. at all. You you have a lot of you way. have a lot of great people in this too. You have uh like Gugu Mbatha Raw, Chris O'Dowd, uh, Zhang Ziyi's in it, Daniel Bruhl. David Oelio, you got a lot of great yeah, people I mean. in this, and that's why it would, like I said, that, with that initial like drop during the Super Bowl, and you see the people that are in it, and you're just like, well, it, it can't be good then. Yeah, there's no way you wouldn't do this if it was a good movie. Yeah, I think that this could be th- this could be the it for this whole Cloverfield experiment where it's yeah let's just stop that done yeah i it's done let's move on it's just it's so loosely connected like even more so than um was it called 10 cloverfield lane yeah which i liked a lot i thought that that one was great but yeah but it wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't a cloverfield movie really no you know what I mean? It's just like, it's like if you say you watch it and you're like, man, that was a good movie. I like that. And someone just popped in afterwards and like, yep, it's a club film movie. And you're like, but how though? Yeah. It's like, yep, <laughs> nope, totally is. Well, it's, it's a whole it, part of the universe. Yeah. But I like the idea, you know, where there's this, there's this big event that's happening, but people are still dealing with their own shit. You know, yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you think about it, Golden Exits technically could be a Cloverfield. Absolutely movie. could know. be. It absolutely could be. On the other side, town in the East Village. <laughs> no, not there. <laughs> Somewhere else. <laughs> okay, Newark. There you go, Newark. That's better. It's getting hit. <laughs> uh. Anyway, 
uh, Cloverfield Paradox. It is available on Netflix if you want to check it out. It is not worth a look though. It's it's not very good. <laughs> some people are loving it. I noticed some some people on Twitter that are that are really digging it, but it, it just didn't work for me. There was it was way too derivative and like just just wasn't good. It wasn't wasn't very uh, enjoyable. A lot of it was just kind of silly, and you're just like, what? Especially the cutaways to the stuff back on Earth. You're just like, eh. In the in in the end, it just felt so generic and bland. Hmm. I had I watched something like this was super disappointing in a really baffling way, which is I finally saw The Graduate from 1967. Oh, okay, Mike Nichols, yeah. The Graduate, classic. This movie, this movie's terrible. It, it's just bad. It's just awful. I don't understand. I don't understand how this is a classic. I don't get it. I don't know. I, I, uh, I have I've never seen this movie in its entirety. I've seen bits and pieces over the years, but I've never I've here. never seen the the whole thing start to finish in an in an uncut format. Yeah, well I finally did that and uh I don't recommend it. I wouldn't do it. Um the the main character that uh, Dustin Hoffman plays the, the the disillusioned graduate um he's fucking awful and i hate him so much i almost hate him as much as Brad from Brad's status but uh Poor Brad. not quite but he is fucking terrible like he's he's just he's a giant sulky boy he just sulks and it, like there's no depth to it he's just like oh I'm unsure about my future. Like that's all he says. Like he doesn't get he doesn't get into like. And yes, I can understand being overwhelmed by the future and like what what do you want to do? What, like I get that, but there's no depth to it. That like that's literally all he says. Like he's just a sad mopey boy, and he'll say occasionally, "Oh my future," and then say. <clears throat> and then you have the whole thing with Mrs. Robinson, which is handled very oddly. And then it it kind of drops off from that, and it becomes about him with Mrs. Robinson's daughter, where he. And then that's even more bizarre the way that it's handled because he just turns into this really creepy stalker guy. That's just a sad, pathetic piece of shit mm-hmm. stalking. Mm-hmm. And then the ending is just all out insane where I I can't. And the other thing that gets me is, you know, like the the biggest thing to it has always been the the Simon Garfunkel Mm -hmm. soundtrack, Um, which it starts off with the sound of silence, which just doesn't really seem to fit with the movie. And then it does Scarborough Fair, which it does like four separate times. I hate it when movies and do it that. Starts, and it starts from the beginning each time. Like it plays once and it gets like halfway through and then it stops. And then about five minutes later, and the scene starts and it starts at the beginning of the song again. And number one, that's just terrible. Two, the song doesn't really fit 
at all with what's going on. None of the scenes it does. Like they just keep fucking shoving Scarborough Affair in there for no reason. I don't understand it. It just it doesn't like it's. They're good songs. Simon Garfunkel, good songs, but they just don't feel like they don't make sense. Uh, yeah, I, no, I noticed that a lot of a lot of older movies do that. Like they'll 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 have one song that they play over and over, or a few songs that they play over and over in a soundtrack. It's just, mm, it's not good. I hated it. Hmm, that's unfortunate. I saw a futile and stupid gesture. It's another Netflix one. It's the one about National Lampoon that apparently got oh, zero. Yeah, it right. got zero advertising from Netflix, which I think is unfortunate. The movie's not great, but I think a lot of people will probably like it. The thing is, I'm. I've said it before on the show. I'm a huge National Lampoon fanboy. Uh. And by that I mean the the like the older stuff, not anything, not anything that they did, uh, like post eighties. The but anyway, this is a it's a biopic about the National Lampoon and uh, specifically Doug Kenny, who is one of the creators of the National Lampoon. Will Forte plays him. Uh, a lot of great people in this playing some big roles like Joel McHale plays Chevy Chase, which is interesting. Like Seth Green plays um, Christopher Guest. Uh, and John Daly plays uh, Bill Murray. A lot of interesting casting choices here that for the most part worked really well. And it just sort of, the thing that the thing that got to me about this that that bothered me, and I, maybe this will work for some people, was that they used this sort of this 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 device to bookend the not not even bookend. It was just like this narrative, this like framing device that they used to tell the story, where they had um, Martin Mull play Doug Kenny. Like the Doug Kenny of now, like modern Doug Kenny, which is weird because Doug okay. Kenny died uh, very young. So it's like, why? Why would they have Martin Mull play modern Doug Kenny? I mean, they're they're trying to say, I guess, if he survived, what he what he would be like. It was just so weird, and that's, yeah, and that's he would weird. like frequently come into the scene and do like exposition and. It just didn't. It just didn't work for me, at all. It does seem like a very odd choice. Otherwise, it was a pretty funny movie. There was there. Were, I mean, this is directed by David Wayne, and I, I think that was a good choice for something like this, where you have uh, a big ensemble of funny people. I think David Wayne does that very well, and so there there were a lot of uh, funny moments. Will Forte was pretty funny as Doug Kenny. And, uh, so it's, it's like, uh, maybe a light recommend. If you don't know the story of the National Lampoon, I would say it's worth checking out. Although a documentary came out, uh, like maybe two years ago, uh, called Drunk Stoned Brilliant Dead. And that is, it's a deeper dive into the National Lampoon, uh, 
company and sort of where they went and everything. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe that is, uh, I would recommend that over this maybe, but, uh, e- either way, it's not great. Although we'd have a review up on the site and, uh, mint reviewed it for us and he loved it. He gave an eight out of 10. So what the fuck do I know? <laughs> it's true. This is very true. I don't think we really know anything, do we? Except that all on Netflix movies are, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I love. That's like the running theme of every Netflix movie. There, I feel like with Netflix, it's either like, eh, it's all right. Or it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have your futile and stupid gestures, which are, you know, those are like, all right, that's okay. And then you have your open houses, which are like, oh my God, that was so dreadful. Yeah. And I think that they're just banking on racking up as many as those as possible. Because that's like almost the whole point of Netflix, isn't it? Where you're just kind of like sitting around, nothing to do. And it's like, let me see what's on here. Oh, all right. Well, let's try this one. Let me hit play. Again, I, I will say what I said during our predictions, our 2018 predictions that are our own most anticipated that this is like a make it or break it year for Netflix because they have a lot of a lot of directors that that I admire coming out with yeah. Netflix movies this year. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I swear if they Oh man. <laughs> Gareth uh, Evans and Jeremy Saunier and Scorsese and Duncan Jones and man if those well, are bad yeah wasn't well, even which is maybe another sign, isn't Annihilation now? Just nothing, just Netflix. Really? I thought I read that. Yeah, they're, they're not releasing it. It's just straight to Netflix. No. I've seen, I've seen, been, uh, I've been seeing commercials for it. <laughs> that's, that's, there's no way. I thought that's what I read. I don't, I think you might be incorrect on that. Yeah, it says it's in theaters February 23rd. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Internationally. It's going oh, internationally. Interesting. So Netflix picked it up for international. Hmm. It's a shame you can't do... Well, I mean, that doesn't say a lot about that movie. I'm a little concerned now. It's a shame you can't do the... I might have to look this up, but you used to be able to do a VPN... And then be able to log into Netflix in different countries and watch their offerings yeah. in different countries. But I think that they cracked down on that. I don't think you can do it anymore. But I'm gonna look at I'm gonna look it up and see if you can still do it. <laughs> watch some annihilation. Yeah. That's all I got. I'm gonna stop okay. it there. All right. I'll I'll do a couple quick mentions. Uh saw Hellraiser Judgment. This comes out this Tuesday on on Blu-ray. It's another Hellraiser movie. Making deals. This is the one that... This one was made a while ago, I think, but it was held back for whatever reason. Um, and then after the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, I think they released it because uh, Hellraiser is uh, Dimension Films. I think that's owned by the Weinsteins. And for whatever reason, they shelved it. Uh, well, actually, I know why because I just saw it. Uh, it's not very good. 
It's uh, it's way better than the previous Hellraiser, which I think came out like 2011. Uh, Revelations, Hellraiser Revelations. That was the absolute worst. I mean, that might have been one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It was such a piece of shit. This one is uh, a little bit better than that. The guy that they got to play Pinhead did a, a, a way better job than the, the guy that they got for Revelations. Uh, but... Like a lot of the later Hellraiser movies, this just follows your kind of typical Saw 7 formula. And it's just not very interesting. They had a couple... There's a couple really gross scenes in this. There's uh, some disturbing imagery. But it doesn't feel anywhere close to what the original three movies were like. It just... Mm -hmm. had it just lost its way and uh th- th- this one's no exception it just feels ham-fisted yeah. and they have a certain charm that first hellraiser that yeah I and, and i think I, know, that, I don't know if you can recreate that yeah i i just i don't know like modernizing those movies it just i don't know there's there's something there's something missing there but uh, either way, it's it's uh, pretty crappy, and I would avoid it. Um, one that I would recommend is Tragedy Girls. This is out now, finally on on Blu-ray. Uh, this I, I missed this one last year when it was in theaters, and I thought it would sh- surely be on VOD before the end of the year, so I could watch it and. Um, consider it for my top 10 horror movies, but it never, it never came out. Uh, it came out last week on Blu-ray and it's, it's, it sucks because this would go, it would definitely go on my top 10 horror movies of 2017. It'd probably be near the top as well. Cause I really liked this movie a lot. I thought it was pretty, pretty great. We've seen a lot of these sort of, uh, thrillers and horror movies that, play with the idea of social media and I mean, just a lot of movies in general that, that play (laughs) with social media and the sort of downside of social media and sort of the awful things that can, that can cause in people, you know, with, with, with an online presence where we're always trying to get likes and views and retweets and, grow in popularity. I mean, the, the entire world is now a giant popularity contest with people doing exceedingly stupid things like eating Tide Pods, you know, to become famous, internet famous. And I think that this movie, Tragedy Girls, does it way better than most of those movies that, that tackle the subject. Uh, I would say that this does it better than even Ingrid Goes West. Uh, Oh, but both movies are slightly similar in a similar vein, but I thought I had a lot more fun with this than, than Ingrid goes West and Holy crap. Is this movie gory? That was one of the big surprises was the level of violence in this movie. Very surprising. Uh, some of the deaths, some of the deaths seem to be paying homage to other, horror movies in fact a lot of the deaths deaths seem to be paying homage to other horror movies which i appreciated because they were done in sort of a new there's like a new spin on on a lot of them and 
I, I just had a blast with this movie. It it begs for a sequel, and if they, I hope they do make a sequel. And I, but I hope that they get uh, Tyler McIntyre to direct it and get everybody that was involved with this one back in it. But uh, highly recommend Tragedy Girls. is definitely worth a look. I know you were somewhat interested was, in this, right? Yeah, which is good to hear. Yeah. That's, again, that's just chalk another one up. So that was the thing. Is everyone that I saw, you know, talking about Tragedy Girls saying positive things. Yeah, it's it's it was great. Um, the, the last one I'll talk about is Victor Crowley. This is directed by Adam Green. So this is the fourth entry in the Hatchet series. Now, I really liked the first Hatchet movie when it came out. Uh, I guess it was about 10 years ago that that came out. Uh, really enjoyed the first one because when that when the first Hatchet movie came out, we were kind of waning on the, the slasher movie. There hadn't been a lot of slasher movies um, out for a while. Uh, you know, we had that little bit of a slasher resurgence in the late nineties, you know, you had your, um, I think it started with scream in like the mid nineties. And then you st- started having like the, I know you did last summers. And then the, just all of those kind of derivative <laughs> titles that, we, that came out, uh, urban legends. And I don't know final destination. I don't think final destination would really fit in that since it's not really a killer, but, they all had kind of the same vibe. Anyway, um, there there was a little bit of a, a lull in slasher movies. And then Adam Green came out with, with Hatchet, and, which was very much sort of this 80s throwback to the slasher movie. You had your your villain, your, your supernatural, superhuman villain. And you just had a whole bunch of teenagers getting chopped up and, and killed. And then uh, the the sequels, two and three, they weren't great. Uh, the second one w- was directed by Adam Green. The third one wasn't, which came out a few years ago. And then this one, which is sort of uh, sort of a reboot of the series. The in the third one they killed him, and in in this one they resurrected him. So yeah. in in that regard, it feels very much like you know Friday the Thirteenth where they, they bring him back from the dead. And this one also has some uh, like meta vibes to it. It's very much like um, Scream 2 or Wes Craven's New Nightmare, where the, 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 the plot involves a, a film crew going to the swamp where Victor Crowley lived and shooting a fake trailer for uh, a, a movie version of this this incident. Uh, so they're they're trying to make a hatchet movie, and like they're looking through like the victims, and they're trying to recast the victims, which are you know are pictures of actors from the first <laughs> hatchet. So it's got this kind of meta vibe to it, but um, doesn't really. It's it's not great. There's there's a lot of kind of horror homage in here that is makes it slightly more fun. Uh, but 
overall, it feels pretty standard as far as a, a slasher goes. Um, one of the interesting things is that the, all of the characters are trapped on a plane that crashed in the swamp. So it's <laughs> it's sort of like this containment thriller where they're they're all in one place and basically they're just trapped in this plane and Victor Crowley's just standing outside waiting for them to 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 leave so he can chop them up. The uh the effects work is is pretty solid. They these these movies famously only use practical effects and uh a lot of them are really good. There's some really kind of nasty shit that happens in this. Um there's there's even a um cannibal holocaust homage in there that uh, I appreciated but overall fairly fairly mundane fairly forgettable okay. uh, we have a review for this up on the site actually uh, Blake did a blu-ray review this is out on VOD and blu-ray right now I think he gave it like a five yeah so that's it for me let's talk about some new releases we got a big one this week Hell yeah. Black Panther. Now, I, I've been feeling really, really strangely about this movie. Like, I remember when the first teaser trailer came out and I was like, oh, shit. Like, yes. Yes. I can't wait for that. And then for some reason, I, I cooled off on it a little bit. I was like cooling down on it. But then, you know, as as the release date gets closer and they're they're coming out with like little TV spots and stuff. And then all of the people that have seen it are talking about how great it is. Now I'm getting the, the hype is building back up within me. Certainly. So I'm, I'm pretty yeah. amped for black Panther. Yeah. Yes. I can't so, wait. I'm so excited. So that's, that's the biggie coming up this week. Uh, we also have early man, Coming out, this is the the Wallace and Gromit folks. I would just like to say that poor all the other movies. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, I think I think a lot of people knew and changed their release schedule accordingly. Uh, early man, they were like, you know, it's a kids movie. There's there's going to be room for that on the schedule. Uh, early man, I have no interest in at all. It doesn't look good or funny in, in any way. I don't know why. Like critics always love the the movies put out by this this team, mm-hmm. uh, and I can't stand most of them. I Ooh. love I love claymation. I love stop motion animation, but these movies just they, they're not funny to me at all. Like I, I remember enjoying the Wallace and Gromit. I think they were shorts. They were like short films, the original ones. And I enjoyed those. But then like the, uh, uh, this is the same people that did Chicken Run, which I didn't like. They did Shaun the Sheep, which looked horrible that I didn't even see, which got good reviews. And then they did, um, I think they did that pirate movie. They got a lot of hype. And then I went to see it and I was just like, this is, ugh. I never really was able to get into the Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it was. I just just it's not just, for me. Yeah, it's just not I, I can see why maybe kids would really like it, but yeah, not for me. 
We have uh, Tehran Taboo. This is an animated film. Uh, looks somewhat interesting. And then we have Samson. We have The Party. Loveless. These these are all just... <laughs> yeah. uh, Western. That's actually supposed to be pretty good, I heard. Uh, let's see. We have The Boy Downstairs. Uh Romantic comedy. I saw this at Tribeca last year. Uh, I have a review for that up. I didn't. It was okay. It was average. Uh, that's pretty much it. I'm not I'm not seeing a whole lot else coming out this week. It pretty. I think pretty much everything got out of the way of Black Panther. Yeah, which is probably a good idea. Uh, I just I, there's this. Because I saw this nostalgia movie on here. Yeah. This is uh, written by Alex Ross Perry. Mm. It, it explores our relationships to and artifacts. Hmm. So I have a feeling that's going to be verbose as shit. Yeah. Mosaic stories about love and loss. Explores our relationships with objects, artifacts, and memories that shape our lives. John Hamm, Catherine Keener, Bruce Dern, Ellen Burstyn, Nick Offerman, John Ortiz. Hmm. No, thank Mark you. Pellington directed it. What'd he do? What'd he do? He did U2 3D. What? For real? Yeah. <laughs> For real? Yep. He did oh, he did man. Arlington Road. The last word. I melt with you. Oh, uh, he was a producer on I Met With You, which, holy crap, I hated that movie. The Mothman Prophecies. Oh, hell yeah. All right, well, maybe I'll give that a look. I don't know. (laughs) Don't. Don't do it. Yeah, I really doubt it. I really doubt (laughs) it all. I can tell you right now. VOD this week, we got Defective. That comes out on the 13th. Then on the 15th, we have The Millionaire's Unit. That's uh, a documentary. I think that's actually narrated by Bruce Stern. Now that I, uh, now I see it, find connections all yeah. over the place. Then on uh, Friday we have Looking Glass, which is a Nicolas Cage one. We got the Bad Guys, and we got Black Creek, which is a low budget horror movie. And that's pretty much it for VOD. Blu-ray this week. Got a couple things here. Drag Me to Hell's getting a new release on Blu-ray. I love Drag Me to Hell, man. Oh my god, I love that movie. So good. Have you seen that? I think so. I think I saw it with you. Maybe. Yeah, could be. Hell or High Water getting 4K release. Hellraiser Judgment, as I mentioned. Skip that. Blade of the Immortal getting a Blu-ray release. I checked that out. Yeah. Check it. It's pretty pretty ridiculous. Uh, let's see. Wonder coming out on Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, Roman uh, J, Roman J Israel Esquire. Mm, the Bird with the Crystal Plumage getting an Arrow release from 1970. Uh, let's see. There's a movie coming out called Don't Fuck in the Woods. 
kind of interested to explore that, see what that's all about. I have a feeling that anybody that does kill. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that is almost a certainty. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. What do we got on uh, Criterion this week? Oh, we got two classics. Two of them. First one would be 1968's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, we should have a review for that up um, tomorrow. Or, sorry, as you're listening to this, it should be up. Okay. All right. So you got that. You got that classic. And then you got the classic from 1991, The Sons of the Lambs. Loving that cover. Oh, Night of the Living yeah. Dead cover's good, too. Uh, it's like sort of got this pulpy, I do. pulpy. I do like both, uh, of the, both of them covers. Yeah. Good covers. It's good work. Whoever did that, good job. Pick them up. Get them. Pick them up. Do it. Add yes. to your collection. <laughs> uh, all right. I think that is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.